basically six months yep. from meeting Sean to like signing paper and full yep. acquisition, which is pretty mm. quick. And then a mm. month ago, Romo was born. A month ago, Romo was born. So <laughs> our, our whole company was just in um, in Dublin for a month. So we yep. were, it was still the tech team here was still small enough that we just pack everyone up and yep. go, right, we're going, mm. we're, we're <laughs> off. Welcome to Startup West, the podcast about building scalable tech startups in sunny West Australia. My name's Charlie Gunningham. And my name is Beth Cornelia, and today we are talking with Andrew Walker, founder and CEO of Spatula, the logistics software business, which he now works for as CTO, and it's actually now called Romo, we discovered today. So if you can follow that, you're doing well. We uh, (laughs) talk about all of that, plus he's also very active in the startup scene, pioneering the reverse shark tank events, which we talk about, where companies pitch to programmers to try and get them to join their company, plus he's a former pro tennis player. (laughs) Amazing. There's a lot to talk about. Hope you enjoy. Enjoy our chat with Andrew. Welcome to Startup West, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Very happy to have you here. You are the CTO of a company that now is called Romo. Can you tell us a little about what you do there? Yeah, so we might talk about this in a sec, but we just uh, a year ago got bought out by an Irish company called We Bring. Uh, and so many names. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, so we were we were Spatula. They were We Bring. Yes. Um, we kind of pivoted their business model to focus more on our technology and collectively called ourselves We Dispatch. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we recently have done a full rebrand and now the whole company is called Vromo. So what's Vromo? It would be easily confused for logistics tech. It, we basically are providing software for restaurants and retailers who are doing a lot of last mile delivery to manage their drivers, manage their delivery, but we actually think of it as marketing tech. So uh, okay. the, the the restaurants themselves have gone through a, a massive disruption over the last couple of years, and so have right. retailers. Completely upended industry. A lot of people thought, let's outsource our deliveries, right. which is kind of what Toys R Us thought about their online shopping when they handed it over to Amazon. Oops. And so, <laughs> as people are slowly realizing, oh, you know what, we don't own our customer relationships anymore the delivery experience now becomes a key part of the marketing experience. And so our tech, while trying to give best-in-class delivery tech for people so that they can compete with efficiency performances, it's right. actually all about engaging with customers during delivery. So customers are retailers and restaurants, and they use your technology for delivery. Exactly. Correct. And they can. so the user, that, that's the person who's ordering, mm-hmm. can see the stuff coming down a map on an app. Yep. Yes. Exactly. And then the so you're retailer. So Uber Eats for anyone. So what? Sort of. Yeah. So we're not Delivery. Uber Eats because Uber Eats are actually selling on behalf of other people and yeah. then right. trying to own the end-to-end relationship mm. with customers. We're yes. really facilitating the, devil- the delivery process and then helping the brand who owns that customer relationship to engage during that delivery process. So there might actually be more than one party involved. We often have third-party logistics companies who use our tech to manage their drivers. Mm -hmm. The restaurants are actually the ones having their food delivered. And then we've even partnered with some brands who want to engage with people who are waiting for food. So big drink companies or big retail brands who go, you know what, it's really hard to get people's attention, but while you're waiting for a pizza, you've got their attention. <laughs> gotcha, uh, yeah. They're so, looking at the app. They want to know when the pizza's yeah. going to be there. You know what goes well with pizza, <laughs> beer, you know, that kind of and thing. And all the tech's done here in Perth. Yeah, so a whole, whole tech team's based down at IQX. Right. So six full-time developers, five full-time developers, plus I'm kind of a developer. So IQX, <laughs> for those who people listening to this don't know IQX, explain what IQX is. So IQX is a building attached to the University of Western Australia owned by them, managed by a group called Business Foundations who's a not-for-profit and it's basically a co-working space for 
slightly more advanced than startup companies who have a relationship with the university or an imperative to engage with researchers and students and that's sort of and, and you were like the first occupier of that space isn't that right and i think you're being a bit modest you sort of pushed for that space to be developed yeah, and we, you were like part of it a little bit yeah we've had a, a relationship with the university for two three years and we negotiated some space on campus so we kind of emerged from the basement of the computer science building and and right. uh, we're doing a lot of things guest lecturing mentoring students working with a, a bunch of different things on campus and that was working pretty well and uh, so the IQ guys the UWA innovation quarter were trying to emulate that and have more startups and more more right. interaction with the with the kind of scale up community and then built the space around well, I hear that it's idea. packed I was at a function there last week and they said we're full up IQX yeah. full up there's not a huge number of spaces mm. uh, and it tends to be pretty full. So I, I expect it to become more and more competitive because you're right there on campus. So you've got great access to researchers and right. good access to students. And so if you're in a technology or anything IP-related um, way as a business, mm -hmm. then getting your hands on talent in the current market is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. So the closer you can get to the source, the better. Right, okay. And that's actually what led to another one of your pursuits, which is, what's the title of it? I it's now called uh, We'll Handle the BS. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> the business side, guys, the business side. So Keep we'll, it clean. We'll handle, the, we'll handle the business side. So that kind of <laughs> sprung out of we had such good relationships with students and um, you know the university community of tech people that uh, companies were asking me, hey, do you know anyone who, are, who could be good for this job and this job? And you know, I'd I just didn't want to become a recruitment company. And then I was looking for someone and, yes. you know, it's, I, my answer started to be, well, if I find someone, I won't be telling you, you know, and then <laughs> yes. we thought, you know what, everyone's looking for these best developers. Meanwhile, in Perth, we're not terribly good at competing with Google, Facebook, other people who are coming in and going direct to students. So people maybe we should. out, yeah. Yeah, and um, there's definitely a talent deficit in tech. And so we thought, yes. let's let's try and get the most interesting companies together and have them pitch to the tech guys. And then, you know, right. to make it a bit more interesting, we, you know, there's a guy on my team I like to call the Simon Cowell of coding, <laughs> uh, Damien. And so we said, we'll get him on a panel and we'll, we'll, oh. we'll, just, we'll just grill, you know, we'll, get, we'll let you pitch your company for three minutes, then we'll grill you with questions about and it. So these companies come and pitch to try and get developers to join them. Exactly. Mm. So it's a and reverse shark tank. Is, sort is, of like reverse yeah. shark tank. And then the developers say, well, why would I, you know, why would I come and work? Yeah, is there, is there free ping pong? Uh, is there free beer? What's going on? Is there a foam room? I, I think that's a misconception. I think ah. there's a lot more kind of depth to developers and the sorts of things that they're interesting in, interested in. Uh, how okay. much creative control am I going to have? Right. Is the tech you're working on interesting? Am I just going to be kind of squashed by Flying bureaucracy? Am mm. I really going to be, you know, do you have secret cobalt servers that I'm just going to be dealing with all of your technical debt or are we actually going to be, you know, engaging and doing fun stuff? Yeah, okay. Um, get a lot of and how many like of these that. events have you had? We must be up to about number six now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, they're now. And it's worked. People have got jobs as a result. There's been jobs out of every event. Fantastic. Um, there's definitely more jobs going than developers. So if you're a tech person listening wow. to this and you're good and you're not happy where you are, then come to the next get one. Get along to the next one. <laughs> you know, Quick little um, plug there. And we get a lot of students coming, you know, coming through as well. It, it's not like it's mm. not a commercial event. I kind of started it because I wanted there to be more of a tech community kind of alongside the startup community and the, mm -hmm. the scale-up community, but it's important for there to be more of a, a tech community that can, people can buy into. Yeah. Um, so good for take, that. we're going to come and circle right back and end up at Vromo, but I want to take you right back. So are you Perth born and raised? Perth born and raised? Yep. 
Born in, born in Crestwood in Thornley. Okay. Oh, me too. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I'm a Thornley go. girl. Yeah, Fantastic. Nice. <laughs> oh, we're, yep. Totally. And at school, what were you like? Were you a bit nerdy? Were you into the sciences? Were you uh, captain was, of the soccer team? What I leadership was, um, roles? I was always into sports. Mm, I loved yep. uh, I loved athletics. I loved competing. Didn't always do that great, but I always wanted to have a go at everything. Mm-hmm. As a uh, year four maths tables champion. <laughs> Um, but well done. no, I wasn't. I wasn't especially into my schooling um, at that point in time. You're a pretty so, good tennis player, I hear. I was, <laughs> I was handy at tennis, um, so I was at Cullamunda High School up until like year ten, year eleven, and then uh, decided foolishly that I wanted to have a crack at pro tennis, and thought that the best way to to have a go was mm-hmm. to go all in. Right. So I ended up. You've not, always not had that school. entrepreneurial kind of risk everything approach? Uh, I like to say I take a long time to make small decisions and I'm very quick to make big decisions. <laughs> ah, <laughs> okay. So, you know, ask me what I'm going to get for lunch, not so sure, but, you know. So you were 16, you were a very good tennis player, mm. you were beating everybody out of sight. <laughs> Actually, not really, but, you know. And you go, I'm going to turn <laughs> pro. Like, Maybe I can. So I'm not beating everyone yet, so what I need to do is spend a lot more time. Ah. Great. <laughs> but so tell us, tell us about your, your pro tennis career. Well, so I moved to Melbourne, um, mm-hmm. worked with a group called Melbourne International Tennis School, free plug for you guys, mm-hmm. and that was great. Good good group of guys over there. Um, I don't know if you remember Mark Philippoussis, but yeah, of his, course. His, mm-hmm. his coach was uh, um, Mike Barock at one point, and he started this academy alongside a really good sports psychologist called Dr. Noel Blundell. So I was part of the first cohort coming through there, and they, right. uh, you know, that's still going and going pretty well in, in Melbourne and Singapore and stuff. So we're training pretty hard over there and then tried to go and compete in the in the low-level pro events and see if we could get on a trajectory towards uh, Wimbledon as is on right now. Yes. <laughs> and yes. Uh, as you can see, I am uh, here <laughs> so with you. So it went well. And, you know, <laughs> so yeah. what, uh, at what point did you decide to pivot and where, what direction did you go in after that? Kind of and how many years? Yeah, to, to, yeah. To the tennis scene. So I, I trained for a good four or five years, pretty hard to try and make it. And then it was about two years of, uh, or two or three years of, of playing these pro tournaments and and not kind of getting on the trajectory towards, you know, nothing but my inability to win held me uh. back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was good at hitting tennis balls, not good at winning tennis matches. How's that? Right. <laughs> um, and does it come down to those little fine moments? They say that. You know, it's all in between the years. It's not really your skill that, that makes you win a game that's pivotal, those pivotal moments maybe. Pivotal moments when you get up to a higher level, but yes. more the ability to play um, at the, mm. your capabilities for sustained periods under yes. pressure when it matters right. is what counts. And so, you know, you watch Federer and he just makes it look like a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> but you ended up over in the States. Yeah, so... Um, when I decided tennis was not going to turn into, you know, a multi-million dollar career, mm-hmm. I, I, I was wondering what to do next. Ended up back at university. I did a mature age entrance, went to Curtin and studied commerce. Right. And then kind of missed tennis and and had a look at their their exchange programs and went on exchange to the US, um, right. to University of Oregon for a year. Lovely. And then uh, walked onto their tennis team, went and <laughs> saw their guys playing on the court and went down and said, hey, guys, you mind if I come okay, over here? Yeah. And they were like, Who's this guy? <laughs> this crazy Aussie, <laughs> and, and then uh, beat their number two or three in a set, and they said, "Okay, you can, you you can, can play. You can play with us." You know. <laughs> so then you ended up in banking. Yeah. So that and we, we're skipping over a few bits, but okay. I ended up I ended up 
this is going to be too long a story if we go through them all. Okay. I, ended, I ended up working for a consulting firm called the Spencer Partnership in yes. Singapore right. after wow. a stint as marketing manager for Tennis West. Yes. So I ended up yeah, working basically as an operational excellence, mm-hmm. um, change management type consultant in Singapore working for banks. Gotcha. I spent a long. I spent a lot of time in Chai Chi Techno Park. For anyone that knows Singapore, Fantastic. eating a lot of local hawker food, um, oh. working with DBS Bank, mm-hmm. and having a good time. Love the hawker food. <laughs> I had eight years in Singapore. How, how many years were you there? Uh, I want to say five years five. total. Nice expat life, isn't it? Yeah, I went there for yeah. two, stayed for five. Same. Fantastic. <laughs> Same. <laughs> there you go. So what happened next? You you leave Singapore, where do you go next? So I was um, looking at the career in consulting and banking and uh, around about that time there was a big renewable energy, we've got to do something about climate change push and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I don't, I, don't want to make, I don't want to make banks efficient for a living. I want to, I want to be part of the changing world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't feel like I had any technical skills so I thought I'm you know, I, I basically went and enrolled in an engineering degree at UWA. Mm-hmm. In my mind, that was going to lead to, you know, renewables and I was going to be part of this big push. Yeah. So I uh, enrolled in engineering, came back and did a, f- a four-year mechanical engineering degree at UWA, which didn't involve that many renewable energy. <laughs> <laughs> ironically enough. <laughs> ironically enough. Um, but it was interesting. I really liked mm. my time there. Mm-hmm. I met a lot of technical people there, which was quite handy for the um, for our future relationship with UWA and just in general the first people that I hired onto my subsequent startup. Right. So how did how did this startup come to life? What what gave you the idea? What so I missed one pivotal conversation, which was you know the consulting firm in Singapore was doing mm-hmm. pretty well, and um, I'd always. I'd sort of thought about the idea of running businesses and stuff before, but um, my boss wasn't sort of embedded with the business. He was he sort of owned the company, but he was back in Australia. And he came to visit us one day and I said, oh, what have, what have you been doing? And he said, oh, I've just spent a month um, riding dirt bikes around Australia. And I thought, <laughs> I'm on the wrong side of this. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm, now, I'm, uh, now I'm committed at some point or other, I'm going to be a, a business person as well. Mm-hmm. I always thought that, but now I was, you know. Now you're sure. Don't want to be a consultant, you know. <laughs> mm. Let's go do that. Anyway, so back in back in Australia, we actually started a startup whilst I was in my degree. Mm-hmm. Me and Chris Bridal, who I assume you met, and a guy yeah, named Alexis Chris. Hall started a company called My Guru, which was yes. kind of, uh, <laughs> uh, you know. I remember that. You know, I, so I was a mature ager going through uni, right? And that was like, um, you know, yeah. and I hadn't done year 12. So, you <laughs> know, maths 15 years ago, that was at a lower level than I would needed to do. So I was going, listening to these questions. I remember the first lecture, right? This lady just going through some revision on the board and, and says, okay, so you know, some of the forces equal zero. Blah, 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 blah. Mm. Has anyone got any questions? And I was like, it's <laughs> like, uh, you know, a thousand people in the auditorium. And I was like, yeah, what, what's the squiggly line, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh. and then, so I relied a lot on Khan Academy and mm-hmm. uh, a few other online things. But then as you progress through the degree, it got harder and harder to find relevant content. Ended up starting mm-hmm. a, you know, starting a, uh, a startup around answering questions with video My answers. Guru. My Guru. Right. Yes. Which would, was one of the upstart programs it went through, didn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, the Amcon or the Avocus upstart? No. No, one of Founders them. Institute. Founders Institute. Sorry. Founders Institute. That's what I saw. So it went, went really well. You and Chris great doing concept. that. Um, we were um, first-time entrepreneurs and mm. didn't <laughs> quite find a monetization scale-up model, but it went really well. We ended up having... Uh, more than a thousand people at UWA watching our videos. Mm. I made a bunch of videos on uh, <laughs> probability and risk. That it, it was it was quite interesting watching the live YouTube streams. You mm. could really see the behaviour of students. Mm. So it's sort of 
views per day, five, 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 ten, three, four, five, five. And then a week before exam is like five, ten, twenty, a hundred, five hundred, <laughs> ten thousand, you know. Yeah, yeah. You, could, you could line it up with kind of the temperature on the climate change yeah, graph. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you had a, a mini so a startup. startup experience first yep. and then – And that wasn't quite going well. I, in mm-hmm. the meanwhile, I was working for um, my brother-in-law who, you know, he knew I was a consultant and his his IT company had grown out of his basement and was now sort of 13 people and growing fast and needed some processes. Uh. So I was helping him set up some systems and kind of improve the way they operated their business and he had a lot of transport clients. So uh, a few different trucking companies and stuff. And so I thought, well, maybe I can combine helping him, uh, the consulting and the engineering thesis and have a look at, you know, what transport companies could be doing more with technology. And so my honors thesis was called something like um, telematics and other remote, other technologies in managing transport for WA. Is it remotely useful? You know, pardon Mm -hmm. the dad joke. Um, Mm Boom. And that was all about, okay, we're going to, track vehicles, get data, and use that data to make better decisions. I originally thought we were actually going to look at how can we develop hardware and get more data, but as soon as I started researching, I was like, there's <laughs> yeah. data coming out of their ears. Why aren't they doing yeah. more stuff it's with the data? doing something with it. Um, and, yeah. and that led to basically the start of fleet engineering. And it was almost more consulting than tech right at the very beginning mm. is in its instance because we knew we had all this, te- this data and we knew that people weren't using it. I was like, well, that's what we did with the banking sector. And fleet engineering was you to start with. Yeah, that was that was or basically with me your brother it. or no? Yeah, so they we we did a deal on day one because uh, <laughs> you know I was getting to that age. My wife wanted to get a house and mm-hmm. you know, this kind of thing. So I said, um, I want to start this company. Uh, the thesis says, you know, we, I've spent a year researching it. it seems like it's a thing. Um, if you guys uh, pay my salary, I was actually an employee of their company, New Trend IT. Um, so, so we started a company that had no employees, but I was working on it full time. Yeah. Um, you can have half the company as long as you pay me a salary for a year and, um, give us some support, give us office space, give us some computers, yeah. your accountant does our accounts, that kind of thing. <laughs> Good mm-hmm. deal. So that was the, that was the original deal. And how to get your first clients on board and get some money coming in? The first money came from new trend clients. So they had some clients who had vehicles, hence why we were looking at it in the first place. Right. And so it was how could we apply it to them? The actual first first money I had to hire a developer came from a consulting project with a group called Outcare who had asked uh, them for something rather cryptic. We need a proposal for some kind of cryptic IT project. So hmm. I just pitched a half IT, half consulting project to come in and help them with organizational culture, look at their IT and look at their vehicles. Uh-huh. And, they, it's a, and the rest is kind of history. And then, right. and that was uh, kind of a lowball pitch as far as consulting goes in order to then hire a developer to come and start building out our, our like data analytics platform and telematics platform. Yeah. So we had the data that we needed at hand in order to do the consulting. And you had engineering and then you'd had commerce degree and you'd done a startup and you'd been this pro tennis player mm-hmm. <laughs> and now you're married with kids. Two kids. Trying to get a house. Yeah. Who's doing the tech? Who's uh, coding the tech? Are you doing that as well? No. So, so you're hiring someone to do yeah. the tech, so like outsourcing, or then you hired your first person and they did the tech. No, I've never outsourced. Well, we've occasionally tried to outsource little random things that mm-hmm. we that weren't part of the core product, and it's never worked out. Yeah. So uh, one of the best things that happened through mechanical engineering was I did a we we made it to a national robotics competition, 
And uh, one of the guys on my team had a cousin whose name was Damien, who's now my lead developer, who basically <laughs> was um, very instrumental to helping us write some of the code. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we met. I met Damien and and the other initial tech hires doing mechanical engineering, but taking some software related courses uh, classes while I was doing that. Yeah. So, uh, like when I first started building the platform. I thought that I was going to be able to buy in some telematics gear and I'd be able to write the code. Uh, and over the space of two weeks, I wasn't really sure how much progress I was making, whether I didn't understand the semi-broken English documentation or if I just wasn't good enough at, at the tech side. <laughs> then I won that consulting project. So I had some money and immediately called Damien and said, is this the sort of thing you're interested in building? He mm. said, yes. I said, then come on, let's go. Um, he made more progress in the first afternoon than I had in the previous two <laughs> weeks, and that was the last time I wrote any serious code. Right. Nice. Okay. And so then, what did what did the next year or two look like? How did you? How quickly did you grow? We not that quick. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's some interesting discussions around how much should you bootstrap, how much should you yeah. get money. So, how, what did how, you do? Well, we relied on essentially revenue for the mm-hmm. first bit and that meant we were getting revenue from projects and sort of side software gigs um, and trying to build up a, a product uh, yep. and you know at first I wasn't getting a salary that was coming from from mm-hmm. the other company the arrangement, yeah. from the arrangement so we didn't we weren't urgent that fast um, and we were trying to build up a client base and kind of get some early wins with mm. we'll, we'll track your buses. So we were tracking Horizons West buses mm-hmm. and providing them with some relatively basic functionality and and building out bits that they needed and then kind of seeing opportunities to extend the platform mm. as part of a project. I remember the first time we met, you were coming up from UWA and you sent me a link so I could see you arriving on a map on your very technology. Yep. Remember that? I thought I that was pretty cool. That. I'm meeting <laughs> him for a coffee. That's one of the best pitch ways to pitch. Is, <laughs> and then I can see you going down the road and I went the wrong towards way. me. <laughs> you, you, you I did, I'm going, why is he going that way? <laughs> yeah. I can't remember if you caught you. That's I definitely true. didn't do anything illegal, but somehow you got the message through that um, don't turn right where you're about to turn right. That's You'll right. be stuck for an hour. Yes. <laughs> you were going down Newcastle Street and it was being dug up and it was so, a... And I said, see? And you said, yeah, you're right. That worked. <laughs> and then, so that was uh, fleet engineering. But then there was this Spatula mm. well, that domain. Was, that was spatula. So that was Spatula. So yeah, Spatula so, was your product that yeah, so we, engineering was the company. So we were growing growing out this platform and we were kind of getting it client by client and I was a consulting background and the initial concept was sort of we're going to use technology to help businesses solve their problems. Yeah. And then the, techno- the software itself that we were building was getting bigger and bigger mm. and then we had eight different clients and we pretty much started developing eight different products um, and which wow. which is not, not a good idea, not a great idea. No. And then when we're like, okay, this is like this is getting tiring, and we didn't charge mm. enough for any of them mm-hmm. to be an individual standalone profitable thing. It was all about building the platform. Mm. And so then we said, okay, well, what is this platform? Well, let's have a look at each one of those. And if you dig took a dig down into any one of those areas where we were focused, they all had big competitors. It's like, well, this is just yeah. a, this is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So it's okay. Well, let's break down and what what is it that we do? What do we want to do? What do we like that we're doing in certain areas? And which bits do we not have skills for? So we'd kind of, you know, we were doing satellite tracking of um, ammonium nitrate up to the mines, and we were hmm. doing. 
you know, dispatch software for towing. And, you know, I think the, the straw that broke the camel's back was when we had another dispatch system for kind of a bulk operation from quarries and they wanted something that was completely different from the dispatch system that the tow guys had. Yeah. And we said, okay, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> I think yeah. if I'd asked the tech guys to build one more thing, they would have killed me. Yeah. <laughs> they would have thrown you out of the company. So. Yeah, exactly. So at that, at that point we were like, okay, well, you know, What's the underlying problem that we're we're solving these yeah. for these yes. people? Essential and, question for any startup to ask. Yeah, well, yeah. we were solving it. We were solving a problem. Too many problems. Too many problems. It's like, what's your the problem? Essential. Okay, what's yeah. your problem? Not like what's a big problem and we'll sure. just go for it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. And, and how big's the team at this stage? Uh, we were three devs plus yeah. me okay. at this stage. Um, yeah, Hen, Isaac, and Damien. Operators operating in some corner of your WA somewhere. Not yet. No? Still, still not in your brothers. Brothers. We might have been in a trampoline park by this stage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so we why outgrew, were you in a trampoline park? We outgrew uh, the office there at Newtrend. They were growing. We were growing. Um, we were loud and they were trying to do customer service calls. And so we ended up um, right. operating out the back of a trampoline park in exchange for a, for a server. <laughs> Well and done. We had, you were great at making office deals. We we are we are pros. And the occasional trampoline. Deals. And the, yeah, we got we had more trampolines yeah. than any other tech company in go. the world. Claim to fame. Google does not have that many trampolines <laughs> in your face. Where was that? <laughs> Where was the trampoline uh, part? Riverton. Okay. Uh, which turned out to not be did I say Riverton or Rivervale? Rivervale, Rivervale I think. Rivervale. 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 Um, really fun place that was really not commercially successful and um Mm. You know, okay. the guys had a nice little, little thing going. So you got there. to, then you focused on spatula as yeah. the product, right? right? Solving the problem of, for who? So we wanted to build a system at that point that was going to be, enable people to build all of these other systems. So right. we, we knew that we had all of these different things for, for, yes. for dispatch. And we said, well, if we broke them down and just built kind of a simplified thing that you could use our API and build more stuff on like top of. Like a platform. Yeah, it would be a platform play. We would be API first, right? And then you could build any dispatch system on top right. of it. Right, got it. And we thought that's that's a good idea. So mm-hmm. we and and Damien was our lead developer and developing some seriously good underlying tech that you could build all sorts of things on top of at this mm-hmm. point. So you know, we we sound like we're kind of going all over the place, but under underpinning this was some real cutting edge R and D on how to how to you know create new data structures and. And Damien kind of had a – he had hobbies in developing his own software language. He'd sort of been coding since he was 10 and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got this prodigy on the team doing all this stuff. <laughs> mm. And meanwhile, I'm doing these wacky deals, <laughs> trying to turn it into a business. Um, and then, uh, you know, we had had this going with the dispatch system with with towing and we were looking at, well, who's doing volumes of deliveries and, and who's going to get the value out of this. And then I attended a conference, um, like a retail delivery conference in Melbourne and the guys from Sherpa were there, and they uh, a, a lot of the talk was around missed deliveries and the the expense of missed deliveries. All right, um, which for Australia Post and others, I don't know if you've ever had one of those. Sorry, I missed you cards. Yes. Everyone's had a story. Everyone hates it. Mm. Um, this was a big talk at the convention, and this guy got up and said, "Oh, look, with our system, Sherpa, which is kind of like um, Uber Eats, but for parcels." Um, he said. You know, when we started introducing tracking, so you can see where they are, missed deliveries isn't twenty percent; it's more like two percent. Yeah, and everyone's like, "Oh, wow, well, maybe we should do this." And I thought, out of all this stuff we've got, maybe what our business is is solving that last mile tracking problem. Maybe we just give tracking links to everyone. You know, yeah. why, why don't we? at that point we started asking? 
Like if uh, if Domino's Pizza are doing it and Uber are doing it, why doesn't every delivery have a tracking link? Because yeah. it sucks when you don't have a tracking link and you're trying to find someone and whatever. And so we really started pushing down yeah, the, right. the tracking link aspect and that has proven more and more that you can you get people's attention. So we had these mm. tracking links going out. It was helpful for people. There were fewer missed deliveries. People were opening that, you know, you basically send an SMS that says click here and you can track the driver. Yeah, yeah. People were clicking that 50 to 60% of the time, mm-hmm. looking at the link for five minutes. And, um, you know, there's a lot of talk around how hard it is to get um, people's attention. Yes. Uh, how do you engage with your yes. customers? You're trying to compete on Facebook. They're just scrolling yeah, past you. Yeah. And here we were with five minutes of undivided attention where you know you know where they live. You know exactly <laughs> what they're thinking about. They're thinking about mm. their food or whatever it is they're waiting for. The You've got their attention. It's not logistics tech. It's marketing so tech. So targeted. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so yeah. Light bulb moment. And that was a light bulb yeah. moment. And um, we've been having that conversation ever since and try to – sort of try to move the conversation away from the logistics people at companies and talk to their marketing uh, people. So how how did you mention that you bootstrapped it for a long time? At what point or did you ever look at raising? We tried to raise a multitude of times, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that we were ever structured in the best way that a, develop, that a, that a VC or someone could understand. Mm-hmm. And because we, we, we didn't have that kind of trajectory where we had a singular focus and that sort of thing, it wasn't that easy to get your head around as an investor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we had the guys, uh, my brother and his brother who, who owned a big chunk of the company who went full-time on it. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a, right. an awkward arrangement for them. Yeah. Right, right. So, uh, so all of our money essentially came from, um, you know, angel investment, fa- yeah. you know, family, fools and friends around yeah. and mostly family. <laughs> but not really angels actually. Friends. Not high enough individual outside no, group. angel dad. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Family that's, and friends. I mean, that, that's really. angel in the true sense. Yes, yeah. I believe sure. in you. Yes, it sounds like you've got an idea that's going to work. You tell me it's going to work. Okay. I'll, so how long until go. the Irish came on the scene and eventually acquired you? And just tell us about that. What was that like? Because you weren't really looking to sell at that stage, but they were looking for your tech. Yeah. And so that was the relationship, I think. I mean, we were looking to raise at that point. So, so right. we, knew, we knew we had essentially, once we once we trimmed back, every, every time we cut back on on tech that we were doing, the product got better. So the focus mm. got narrower and narrower and narrower until mm. we had what I think now is probably the best last mile logistics tech on the market and definitely the only kind of marketing focused logistics tech mm-hmm. on the market. Uh, but we had some competitors who had raised 25, 30, 100 million dollars. Yeah. We're going, well, you know what, we, we're probably not going to win mm-hmm. <laughs> unless we either have, you know, we've, even if we've got the best tech, we just can't have enough conversations with enough big enterprise companies for this to, to really take off. So let's try and raise cash or do big deals or both. So that was kind of the conversations I was having. We were talking to OzPost. We were still talking to VCs and these sorts of, um, you know, had some conversations with yep. Airtree Ventures and these kind of guys to go, how does this fit? And around about that time, I met Sean, who is CEO of We Bring, mm. um, who was just in Australia talking to Menulog, I think. And oh, right. So they were expanding to Australia in a, in the sense of making deliveries. So We Bring was the Irish company from Dublin. That's right. Yep. So and they, they were well-funded. They're, various rounds, yeah, so they're, various series rounds they've had. So they they're a startup as well, just a better funded, bigger yeah. startup. Um, and so they were essentially a delivery company that was tech driven, but they were weak on the tech. They were strong, mm. obviously, on the fundraising and making good deals. <laughs> mm. And here were we with 
the exact tech that Complete they needed. Complete opposite, in a way. Know, you could some help with the commercial. Yeah, <laughs> our, whole, our whole company was me plus developers, so we didn't yes. have any real overlap between us. Um, and so the conversation went fairly easily. So we weren't even like he, – he reached out to me on LinkedIn and basically said something like, hey, I'm going to be in Australia trying to meet more people in the, in the delivery last mile space, interested mm. in catching up for a coffee. I wrote back, you know, I'm not really in the del- in the delivery space. We're in the tech space, but if you've you know got any, anything that we can help with on the tech side, or you can add value, you know, it might be worth a chat. Yep, and you know, we <laughs> got along. went from there. We got <laughs> along, and we had, it didn't take many conversations for it to get to. Wait a second, you know, yeah, yeah let's put these we guys can help together. each other. <laughs> let's yeah. put these two together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was how long ago was that? That was around about Christmas time. So when it was basically six months yep. from meeting Sean to like signing paper and full yep. acquisition, which is pretty mm. quick. And then a mm. month ago, Romo was born. A month ago, Romo was born. So <laughs> our, our whole company was just in um, in Dublin for a month. So we yep. was, it was still the tech team here was still small enough that we just pack everyone up and yep. go right. We're going. Mm. We're, we're off. <laughs> we're on a holiday. So we went to Dublin to to kind of get behind a rebrand, yeah. and we bring. And so the, the overall company was pivoting away from deliveries once once they sort of saw the opportunity to um, leverage the relationships through the delivery kind of contracts that they had um, yep. and make the most of the underlying IP that we were creating that was unique in the space, the software business appealed more in terms of how we could scale it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we needed a new brand to kind of unify the company behind and Vromo it was. Sounds like it's been a really successful exit for you, but it's not an exit because you're still there. Mm-hmm. They've just yeah. acquired your tech. You've gone under their banner. Mm. You carry on doing what you want to do and they're doing what they want to do. And you can stay in Perth. You're okay for the foreseeable future. You don't have to all go off to Dublin. You're all going to stay here. Um, I think they would rather like everyone in the same place. But, right. Uh, there's been no kind of request that we all move to Dublin and mm-hmm. I actually think that Perth's a good place to run a tech team mm. if you can attract the right people and the right people actually do like being in Perth. Mm. So mm. Um, in Dublin, like the, the living expenses are higher, the competition mm. for tech is a lot higher. I don't know if, you've, if you're aware of the tech space there but, um, you know, there's, there's a shortage of tech people all over the world and if you're in Dublin then the people looking for jobs have, can choose between Airbnb, Facebook, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. they're all there. Everybody's there in town yeah. looking for yep. the same people. Um, not that you couldn't move from here and go work with one of them anyway, but uh, the guys who are here working for me like being in Perth. Um, right. and so that's a big part of the appeal. And also our relationship with the university means we've got a bit of an unfair advantage in recruiting new talent. So there's a bit going there. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, hopefully they don't get spooked by some of the um, less savoury kind of tech legislation and stuff coming through. Right, okay. Well, look, fantastic story. We're going to have to finish on a rapid quick fire round. So, Beth, you want to start it off? Absolutely. First thing comes into your head. Yes, whatever you think of. The single most important factor that makes a successful startup? Momentum. Ah, the big mo. Do you believe in insourcing or outsourcing? I know the answer to this. Uh, neither. I think you should. Oh. Uh, you should um, – <laughs> should never outsource anything that's core to your business and yes. you probably shouldn't do things that aren't if you can avoid yeah, it. Yeah, good advice. Yeah, perfect. Should a startup self-fund or raise money? Depends on the business, but mm. uh, I'd say trajectory is is huge. So if you're looking to go global, you should be going as big as you can, as fast as you can, and money shouldn't be diluting you so much as adding value. Mm-hmm. PC or Mac? Mac. Red or white? Ah. Ah, okay. Red or white? Red. 
Mm-hmm. What podcasts, apart from this one, of course, do you listen to? This one's obviously number one. Yeah. Uh, I, love, <laughs> I love Masters of Scale with yes. Reid Hoffman. That's a good one. And I, uh, I do a lot of um, MOOCs. <laughs> MOOCs? Like, yeah, I like um, – so that, I know that's not a podcast, but I'm doing a, like a data science micro-credential thing. Massively open source courses. Sort of, is that right? Like that. Yeah, okay. okay. Like Thanks, Andrew. We want to wish you all the best. With Romo for the future, and we're going to keep an eye on how you're going. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Thanks for having me. We would also like to very quickly say thank you to our sponsors because the Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and it's made possible by the support of IP Lawyers Raise, Space Cubed, uh, Coworking Spaces, Curtin University, and BDO Accounting. We do record this podcast at Rift Studios in beautiful downtown Perth in Western Australia. And we usually release a new Startup West episode every second Wednesday, so look out for that. And we'd love to hear from you. We have a Twitter account up and running at Startup West Oz, AUS on the end. Do leave us a nice review on the Apple Podcast Store. That helps other people find us. See you next time. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you.